Good afternoon, this is Gary Kavanagh here on TRSI. I'm here today with my friend and colleague Michael Dwyer. I hope you've been well, well even, since last we spoke. Michael, I suppose the, the thing we have to uh, touch on immediately... Yes? We have risen in the public estimation. Our words have become increasingly true to the people who matter. Are we prophets? Is that it? We may be prophets, but like prophets, we'll never be beloved in our own country. Mm. Anyway, we, uh, we've we been talking about masks for a while and basically saying that you should be wearing them. That's maybe not gloves, but masks. If for no other reason, why wouldn't you? Um, we've ran through the research and it all looks solid. And it's looked solid consistently from the start. And basically said that what's going to happen is there's going to be a slow grinding movement as everyone else moves in that direction in the West, because the Asian governments were way ahead of it. And some of the Western governments are moving in, into mandatory mask wearing. Oh, the Italians have been have been mandatory. Out, if you're out caught outside, I, I, I think I mentioned it before, some teenagers who uh, appeared in a supermarket in Naples a couple of weeks ago got should be kicked out of them. For, well, for one, for not wearing masks, and two, for responding like teenagers when when asked about not wearing masks. So no, it's been it's uh, it's been in Italy for quite some time now. Now the Irish Times is saying that there should be a uh, there should be a change in policy on wearing face masks in public. Apparently, scientists and TDs are demanding it. Because there has been a change. Change, Gary? A change. New scientific evidence, Michael. Where did this evidence come from, Gary? Tell me about I this evidence. I don't know. Well, the Irish Times must tell you where the evidence comes from. No, it doesn't. Doesn't it? No. Does it refer to the TDs and, as they say in the young people's parents, give a link? Uh, no, no, it doesn't. It's almost, Gary, as if there is actually no new evidence. Almost like, Michael, there is no new evidence. And this was something we should have done a month ago. But WHO says no. Well, WHO still says no. Yeah, well, I thought... The the HSC when it was going through sort of that mitigating period between WHO and the real world when it was asked about the the mask question now this is cheapers this could this could be a month or more ago said the evidence does not support it now at the time I didn't really know what that meant because you weren't being they weren't being asked a question about masks in a particular context or that masks did X or Y the evidence does not support it doesn't even say don't do it but that was the lie they're getting from WHO and as we know we follow WHO advice yeah I mean yeah the Irish Times has previously published articles saying that uh, not only would face masks not work according to leading virologists yes but they would, in fact, be a vector to spread the virus. And the other thing, Gary, is, and this is a known fact, that if you if people started wearing the uh, the masks, they would otherwise behave in such a fa- fashion as to create a severe danger to the population. They would probably go around putting their hands and their feet all over people, t- possibly taking the mask off to lick people, who knows? Hug, hugging people, they would stop washing their hands and go around in a state of filth because they were wearing a mask. And I, that, I, that, I'm pretty sure is what I gathered from the the advice about the masks was that they would create such a sense of security and uh, self confidence. I mean, this is a bit like why Batman wears a mask. See, Batman wouldn't be able to do this type of stuff if he wasn't wearing a mask. It's a remarkable thing that Superman can do his stuff without wearing a mask. But I, I seem to remember the Irish Times going, or sorry, not the Irish Times, the Irish Times reporting it, but they're just going in even further 
I remember that um, Martin Cormican, who is the HSE's lead for infectious disease, came out and said, no, you shouldn't do... Uh, there was no evidence to support the wearing of surgical masks for close patient encounters and dealing with people who are not diagnosed with COVID-19. Do you remember that? Close patient encounters? Do you remember what caused them to um, do that? The fact they didn't have any masks? I don't know. Well, no, Cormican came out... And the HSE came out because um, I think it was St. James's Hospital. Yes. Had decided they were going to issue protective equipment more widely to staff. Yes. And they came out to basically say, nope, no, you shouldn't, uh, you shouldn't do this. Please stop doing it. Which has always been weird because that just didn't really seem to make a lot of sense. Yeah, the, the other odd thing about that is that one of the other reasons a little bit later why people in the, the lay people shouldn't be wearing masks other than the fact that, you know, you wouldn't be able to put the mask on because it's a bit like, you know, sitting in the toilet the right way. You'll get it right half the time, but not not much better than that. It, the other reason was that we had to make sure that all of the people involved in close patient contact had masks. Mm. We didn't want to be diverting masks away from the people involved in close patient contact. Well, I mean, that, was, that would seem to have been the obvious point, that no one actually believed masks were ineffective. They just didn't think we had enough masks. But I do remember, with, with quite fondness, that period of time where the argument was not they don't work, but rather you were literally too stupid to use them, and you'll go around rubbing the mask on people <laughs> or something like that. And Rub it up against people. Our... Yeah, like a cat. Like some kind of viral-ridden, affectionate cat. They must have a really weird understanding of ordinary people in this country. But anyway, that just to make a point, we seem to be moving in a direction... And people are now saying that there will be a point at which the wearing of masks outside will be mandatory for a while. Nasty, sarcastic comments aside for just a very brief moment. One of the problems with mask wearing in Ireland is that people are incredibly self-conscious about doing anything which makes them look a little bit odd or peculiar outside. And this is most people anyway. And I have said to you from the beginning and to others that one of the things that's going to kill people in Ireland was social embarrassment and that we would one of the jobs that the government was going to have and other pe- people were going to have was to allow people to behave in, in in a weird way i mean from the beginning the first thing you had to get to people was out of the habit of shaking hands because people just felt pressured into shaking hands because you looked a bit odd if you said i don't shake hands and the, the other kinds of contact behavior and one of them is mask wearing because we see pictures from China, but certainly Japan and Taiwan, places, and not just in the COVID thing, but for, in just normal wear, people wearing masks. And people think it just looks weird. We have to get people, and, and that's why it, may, it maybe actually should be mandatory, because then you have to do it, and you don't have, well, I, 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 I wouldn't be wearing it otherwise, you know, I'm perfectly happy to either to catch or indeed to infect you. But, you know, uh, the government made me do this, so I have to do it. Yeah, but um, I, I think you're right on that. But our listeners, if they have taken our advice, have been trailblazers. Trailblazing. Trailblazing. I'm sure. Sure they have. They're independent-minded people, Gary, our listener. Yeah, it's it's been a bad time for WHO and... Uh, <laughs> really? Yeah. And various, various health experts who've been saying things that weren't so much wrong as you hear them and sort of go, but how could that be right? Yeah. Like, just... 
that just doesn't make any sense. I but the, the this is very clearly now being positioned as the science has changed. I am unaware of any major scientific study that has come out on this. Since the Yale study into this, which we discussed on a previous podcast, which made some rather good points, but is not a new study at this point. No, no. It is, it's been out a month, maybe? I don't know. Time has gone in a very weird way with this thing. All I know is that there's uh, six days till May. But yeah, so this is being put as well. Now there's new research and we, we're calling on it to change. And all of the medical organizations seems to come in. I would also look forward to reading the new research, because I don't think there's any new research, Michael. I think this is just a uh, positioning the government so the government can either... So there's two options I can see here. Either the government did this to protect supplies of masks to medical workers, because there weren't enough and they didn't want the public buying them. That I could see, then they would lie for that. Yes. But that could have been managed in other ways. They could have said that, okay, well, frontline staff need N95 masks. Other people can have cloth masks. Which is what the Yale study says, actually. That yeah. And that could have been managed other than a blanket, no, they don't work, if they had known they did work. The other thing could be is that they legitimately believe they didn't work. And I've had a really weird experience talking to doctors about masks. And I think part of the problem is that whether or not masks work or not, isn't first and foremost a medical question. Yes. As such. And obviously, it has medical implications, but it's more of an engineering question. Engineering and behaviour. And so I, like, I've talked to doctors and they've said, well, I, um, you know, I sent them on some studies and they said, well, I mean, it's only, you know, maybe a 40% reduction in risk. What That's does that not mean? terribly good. That's just you sort of fucking go, madness. But it's an incredible way of thinking about statistics because in any other field I've dealt with, Someone went, oh, if you do this and it's simple and it's cost effective, or it could be up to a 40 or 50% reduction in risk. You jump on it. That's that massive. would be an incredible level. <coughs> Huge. And now it just seems to be, well, it's not, it's not 100% though. No, but you combine it with the hand washing and the social distancing and everything together and you aim for 100% cumulative. Yeah. Of which 40% is a large part. I mean... If you take that 40 to 50%, and they did not regard that the, the Yale study, which contained an engineer, which is always reassuring, they didn't regard it as being wildly optimistic. I mean, you've been talking to doctors, I know, as well on this, just to get a sense of this and to see on the mask policy. Have you had the same kind of experience? Yeah, this is the they get, you get a weird thing, whereas you get two things. One is this notion that masks will lull people into a a sense of security and suddenly horrendously risky behaviours will start happening. Now, part of, and then part of that is also that, you know, that lay people just won't be able to understand how to properly use masks. But the point of the Yale was to say this, they weren't talking about the use of very specialised masks. They are talking about ordinary cloth masks, a reasonable representative, 40 to 50% saving. And I would say, but this, and say, yeah, but you know... Is that proportional to the... One guy said to me, and I think I might have mentioned it at the time because I, I rang somebody up to say, listen to this. Said, yeah, but a 50% reduction, you know, considering the risks you're running, is it enough? <laughs> what risks? Oh, well, there are risks, you know. <laughs> I'm yet waiting here to be told what the risks are, except, as I say, that people are going to suddenly turn into these odd frenzied, affectionate cat figures going around rubbing their heads up against people because they're wearing a mask. 
but that was the kind of, I, can't, I, can't, I, can't, I don't know if you came on, but that was the, one of them said, is that enough? Considering when you take the risks into the account, is it considerate? I don't think it's proportionate. I thought, what risks are you talking about? Now, I have, I think doctors are lovely, super people, and I have great respect for them, and I have many friends who are doctors, and um, my own doctor is a wonderful, wonderful person, and everything he says is right. That sounds like a strong but coming. No, no, and just because I'll have to go to the doctor sometime soon. <laughs> I think, Michael, this is going to be quite difficult next year, when we don't, it'll get to this time of year, and... We'll just feel a hole in our lives because we're not talking about masks for several months. But I actually, I have a solution to it. I think you'll like it. Hats. No. Around this time of year, next year, we move from a news program to a program dedicated to uh, reviews of the Carnival of Venice. I, I like it as an idea. I think that if we were going to do reviews of the Carnival of Venice, we should be doing it from Venice. We'd have to be there a week beforehand, a week after, you know, just to make sure. By the way, the Carnival in Venice finishes, the Carnival in Milan begins. So we could do that as well. The only thing is the Carnival in Venice tends to happen in February. I mean, yes, traditionally it has happened before Easter, but... Interesting you should say this, Gary. You may be onto something. The reason, and I think this is probably what Gary is getting at, listener. The reason that the, the Carnival starts late in Milan, that instead of finishing on the Tuesday it starts on Ash Wednesday and goes on to the to Holy Saturday is because of the plague. The plague hit Milan and they didn't get the carnival, so St. Ambrose wrote off to the Pope and asked for a dispensation. Could they have a late carnival, please? And they got one. And ever since then in the Ambrosian Rite in Milan, they've had a late carnival. So you're saying that because of the plague we should have a late carnival and maybe an extended carnival. I think it's only fair. I think that's a super idea. And then we can review masks and talk to mask makers. <laughs> we can talk to mask makers, yeah. Yeah, we should be going over to Venice to, you know, to talk to them when they're in the process of making the masks, maybe in November, because that's when they've been, you know, October, November, December is when they're starting making the masks, getting ready for the busy period. You strike me as a uh, Moretta. Kind of man, Michael. Ah, uh, well, I could. Or a Petruchio. I, I uh, you know, uh, as long as I'm in a good hotel and they feed me, Gary, I'll wear what they give me. <laughs> anyway, we've got, we moved slightly off topic there. Slightly, slightly. Absolutely. But I'm, I'm going ho. I mean, if you can, if we can find someone to pay to send us to Venice to talk about masks, Gary, I'll tell you what, I, I would admire your ingenuity in a manner which. Profoundly. The, uh, we can bring back the cultural show. Absolutely. Yeah, we could get down to Siena. There are lots of palios, actually. There's the palio in, in Siena, is the most famous one. But then there are football palios, and there's the palios all over Umbria and Tuscany. You know, if you're in Italy, there's a festival going on somewhere with medieval costumes and lots of wine. And we, horses and blood. Oh, horses, blood. No, I mean, if you wanted, we could go down to Sicily for the... The, what's it? The Capon, the Tapanas, the, the whatever it's called, the hunting of the, uh, the hunting of the, the big fish, the big fish that we eat, the tuna, which is really gory and bloody and horrible. But you know, if you're a Hemingway kind of person, you might want to see that. Anyway, staying with the, um, there was one other thing we wanted to quickly talk about before we close this down. It's actually the we, could, we were talking about the Irish Times and the Irish Times having surprising things like. 
new scientific research that doesn't seem to exist, but will make the transition easier for the government in what I'm sure is a totally unrelated matter. But it's a difficult time, Gary. You know, they need help. We're all in this together. We're all in I this think, together, I think Gary. one of the reasons the reporting of COVID-19 has been so poor and so sort of fawning and uh, like the government can do no wrong yeah. is because it's very clear that the media uh, industry, pretty much in whole, apart from us, <laughs> um, will be getting a bailout after this. Uh, probably a rather substantial bailout. Can we not get a bailout? I want a bailout. I, I don't think we would be given a bailout, Michael. I'm not proud. I'll be bailed out. I've no ideological problems with it. You might have ideological or philosophical problems, ethical problems, problems about the sense of being bought by the government. Gary, I can assure you, I have none of those problems. Michael, I think as a general rule, people shouldn't be comfortable doing something when I say I have ethical problems about it. Because at that point, you've narrowed it down to quite a narrow range of things. I'm not saying, Gary, I would be comfortable doing it. But if there was folding money involved, I'd fold it and put it in my pocket. I'm a poor, poor man, Gary. And strawberry season is upon us. Yes, I know. 16 tonnes of strawberry. And a bottle of champagne inside. In America, they sang about 16 tonnes of coal. Wexford is 16 tonnes of strawberry. God bless. So, Gary, you're, you're going to say something about the Irish Times and its reporting of the government. Well, actually, they've got, there's quite a good article in the Irish Times today. There is, and it's it's from someone who has been actually quite surprising over the last while. If I we're thinking about the same thing. Are you talking about Mark Paul? Yeah, Mark. Good man, Mark Paul, yes. Mark Paul is a business affairs correspondent, I think would be his title. Yeah. He, but he seems to write quite widely. Mark Paul quoted, went and spoke to the Heritage Foundation and had wrote them up in the Irish Times. And didn't week. get cooties. And didn't, but didn't also didn't try and slant it. Weird. Or condemn the people who are one of the most influential think tanks influenced with the Trump regime. He just reported what they had said, like some sort of lunatic. Yes, it was deeply irresponsible reporting from the perspective of your traditional Irish Times, man. But I know. There you go. He's a really, I think, interesting article, actually, if nothing else. Critical of the government and all that, and quite rightly so, talking about the Keelings affairs. You may have known this, Gary, but I discovered things, what I had not known, because I had not seen them written down in any other newspaper, about the truth of the Keelings affair. We're talking, read, 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 the listener will remember, about the scandal that broke when somebody allegedly from Ryanair reported that the Keelings had flown in a hundred and, what was it, 189 Bulgarian fruit pickers into Dublin to pick fruit from Sophia on a chartered plane to pick strawberries. Now, strawberries, if you, you either pick them or they rot. And everybody rolled on and condemned them, did they, Gary? Bad Keelings, very bad even, people. Even the government, although it later turned out that the government had called for uh, ensuring that seasonal workers could continue moving around the place and therefore allowed what happened with Keeling to happen. And Keeling yeah. said, checked with the government that indeed it was okay. But yeah, no, he, he wrote on um, the Keeling's affair and quite fairly, actually. And weirdly enough, an article of the sort, which I hadn't seen anywhere else in Irish media apart from on Gripped, which basically said this is perfectly understandable and legal. They broke no laws. They broke no guidelines. They, in fact, went to quite a lot of effort to do this. But that's that was my thing. They, To be fair to Keelings, they went to a very large amount of effort and expense, which, my understanding, that 
the legal situation did not require them to do. For example, before they came, uh, Gary, I think that they were they were self-isolated in Bulgaria for 14 days. I'm not sure about the self-isolation in Bulgaria. I believe they were, but they were at least tested and checked by and doctors. And then they were tested and checked by doctors. Then they came here. Then they were self-isolated again for 14, 14 days. 14 days again, after which time they were checked. And then they were... So they're not, like, other than the fact that uh, what what's the comparative level of Ireland v Bulgaria for COVID? I think we have about sixteen times more. Yeah. So, grossly speaking, you're if you're Bulgarian, you're sixteen times more likely to get it in 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 Ireland than Bulgaria. Actually, probably much the actual the much bigger because they're flying into Dublin which is the 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 epicenter of the infection in Ireland so far more dangerous shall we say than the the, the generalized number so it the idea that the bulgarians were bringing bulgarians in was somehow putting us at risk rather than if i was a bulgarian i would be rather worried these people coming back from dublin might be putting my bulgarians at risk and i i, I talked to a lot of people who were annoyed not at the COVID-19 risk, but because these jobs didn't go to Irish people. I would say with the COVID-19 payment, very difficult to pay people to pick strawberries. It's also tough work, actually. It's not You're not going to be well paid by it. It'll be a minimum wage. It's the kind of thing that you can... It's a classic group work. That if you're with a group of people that you know and you're friends with, you can... You do these classic kind of group work things where you you keep you develop a rhythm and you sing songs. You you go to it and you can do it. I'd say one of the problems not only would be finding Irish workers, Gary, but also getting finding Irish workers that would actually stay for longer than a week. Well, Keelings did say that they had advertised the position in Ireland. Yes, and just didn't get enough people. Yeah, and does that surprise? No. And would you rather have people flown over from Bulgaria in housing in that area? And then flying out of Ireland? Or would you rather have people driving all over Ireland to Keelings and then driving back home? Indeed. I mean, these, it's not that, God bless them, these people will be able to, even if they were in the habit of doing it, which I, I don't think they were. They're not going anywhere. There's nothing open. There's nothing for them to do. They're not going to be say, getting into a, into a hire car and say, let's, well, we'll, we'll hit the Giant's Causeway and then over to the bridge and then we'll, we'll, get, we'll go for Donegal for the weekend. They're going to be there where they are. They're going to work. They're going to come back. They'll eat. They'll sleep. They'll, they'll work and then eventually they'll go home. But I do like the fact that he points out that the government are largely to blame for what happened to Keelings because they allowed this to happen. They didn't put any laws or regulations in place. And then when it happened, because they allowed it to happen, they start making comments about it. And of course, well, see, part of the narrative here is that what would, would worked so well for the press and for many politicians, was it a combination of putting the nation's health at risk, and and then obviously, I mean, everybody hates the big strawberry, you know, big that you know these big fruit conglomerates grinding profits out of the sweat of the exploited workers. It's a it's the perfect story. The fact that you know, if if you want, to, you can pay people twenty quid an hour to pick strawberries. But then, by God, notice what your strawberries cost. I mean, the other thing is, I mean, we had people like Tommy Hulan or Tony Hulan, the chief medical officer. Yeah, saying he's uneasy with the situation and that the travel was against advice, even though 
there's no advice saying that you can't do things like this. But was it against advice? I mean, my understanding, actually, and not just from today, that they are they're essential workers, but also my understanding is, and this may be wrong, that they actually had checked, now this is not from today's article, but from a previous one, that they had actually checked Keelings had gone to the government, gone to the, the relevant departments and said, is this okay? And they had been told, yes. You fall within the parameters that are of this, and you are okay. So it was not against advice. No, of course it wouldn't be, because they're an agricultural company. So they'd be it's part of food production, so it'd be essential services. And I think you're right. There's no way you would spend effectively a month of wage on people between self-isolating and doctors and bringing them over if you didn't know that you could do that. Yeah. Because otherwise you're just pissing money away. You're going, to, you're going to come over and then, and then, and, and, and on the basis, and also that you right now have strawberries that are going to be ready to pick in 10 to 12 days, and you, you're you going to risk bringing these people over and then be told, no, 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 sorry, no, no, that they can't come in, or no, they won't, they, 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 they won't be allowed to, they're not going to get work permits or whatever, it's nonsense. If, if it was against advice, then they should publish the advice with the date. Yes, and uh, Tony Hulan, just to point out, because this is my hobby horse, who said, you know, this was against advice, even though no advice existed that I'm aware of, in the same way I don't think there's any new scientific evidence that exists. Well, there may have been advice that we don't know about, but if there is, then you should publish it. Worker movement for agricultural workers? Highly unlikely there's advice against that. No, I don't, I, no, if there was a, a sp- if there was a general piece of advice... No, I, I'm. I'm there, that there may have been a specific communication from a department to Keeling, because that's the only kind of advice I could imagine that they were they were talking about. In such a case, I would see them bringing that up particularly, because if they had sent a letter to Keeling saying, "If you this is a health risk, you can't do this," why would you then just vaguely mention it was against advice? You'd say, "We told them not to do this." I don't disagree with you, Gary. I'm merely commenting that there may be. I wouldn't like to uh, go. I'm just mentioning on a, you know, just a totally unrelated note. That wasn't it Tony Houlihan who said that um, when nursing homes stopped visitors, that that was a unnecessary step and that they'd like to see that turned around. Well, you know, Gary, 2020 hindsight is a great oh, thing. It's 60% of all deaths in nursing homes now. You know, Gary, you can play with numbers very easily, but, you know, at the end of the day, the man on the street caring about the bread and butter issues of the pound in his pocket, and where were we talking about? Now, I think that actually the price of calves, we have to look at the price of calves. To, you know, it's a very I mean, I, I, you know, I would speak no ill of the man. In fact, I've read a number of articles and news pieces which have said that Ireland is doing so well because of the quality of our experts, specifically citing the CMO as, as the sort of high-quality expert who has stopped Ireland from uh, doing poorly. Still ninth worst per capita for COVID-19. I am trying to look more into those figures to see people are saying about differences in counting. Uh-huh. And there are differences in counting um, for a number of countries, but not all of them. And we are the ninth highest in the world. So with differences in counting, we might move down to, you know, 10 to 20. But I don't see much change other than I'd that. Still, I still, I, well, I, I, on that point, I still say that we need to wait and see there are going to be all sorts of issues behind why... 
and how many and where and in which country that are going to be requiring clarification. It just doesn't seem we're doing terribly well. So if well, it was our experts... Yeah, I know what you mean. And I had this discussion with another journalist recently. And it's not that I disagree with your, your fundamental point, but I think that there's... The we is the problem there. That I think there are actually two distinct groups that we could talk about. One is the we, which is official Ireland, which is has is and has been managing the, the, the state response to this. And you could say that they have made a number of errors... Uh, which have resulted in a death rate. If you talk about we the people, I think the people are doing very well. I think the, the compliance levels have been so far excellent, although seismic reports from the weekend or for the, the last few days apparently have shown, I didn't know such a thing exists. Seismic reports, Gary, show that people have been walking more than they hadn't been. there have been more movement in the country. But I think generally speaking, people have been doing well. There's lots of Great community activity, volunteer stuff going on. People are being polite and friendly. I mean, a pessimist might say that people are out walking so much more because the lockdown is breaking down. Yeah, um, I don't, and I don't say this as an optimist. I'm just saying from my observation, I think there are just more people out walking because they're bored out of their tits. I think pe- I've never seen so many people running in my life, and the number of people running past my window has in- increases every day, and the number of people walking and people. Dogs have a look of fear about them now. You know, when he when he goes near the leash, oh God, no, not another bloody walk. That doesn't that doesn't quite scream total isolation of the country, though, does it? Yeah, but it's perfectly perfectly within the regulations as, and also perfectly safe. I mean, the idea, this the danger that is presented of going for a walk in the open air. I genuinely do think you have more chance of being knocked down by a car. I I am just of the... My general opinion is that the social distancing and the uh, hand-washing combined with masks would have given us most of the benefits of the total lockdown of the country. But that if you're going to lock down the country, you should actually lock down the country in the French style. I've said to you, and I've written elsewhere, that I agree, it's by belief that the great bulk of the benefit uh, regarding closing down infections is achieved with the f- the first tranche of social distancing, disinfections, hand-washing, be- and behaviour changes. And probably as well, I would say, closing down large groups of people, like not having Cheltenham, not having 60,000, 70,000 people in one space for for large numbers of hours. But that while I think it's unlikely that the very severe measures have no effect the actual effect that they have is probably going to look disproportionate to the costs incurred and that's why we need to look at sweden see how the sweden swedish thing goes on also the lockdown is not uh it can't be run indefinitely no and now we have the problem of how do we end the lockdown because politically it's very difficult to end the lockdown unless numbers move in a certain way but then when you end the lockdown the numbers will start to move up again because that's what we've seen everywhere that has started to ease lockdowns. Yeah, yeah. I think, I think telling the people, taking a punt on telling the people the truth. Yeah, you see, the problem is the the people have generally not liked the "some of you are going to die" approach. No, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't say it like that, Gary. I, 
I would probably say that, that if that's your approach, you're not going to get the job uh, for communications on this one. I would find another way of saying it. Yeah, yeah, and you probably get something that will work. But but also, Gary, I mean, let's point, let's look at one thing. If you, as regards the lethality of what's going on here and the deaths, the, and the deaths allowing that for the individuals and the families involved, every death of an individual, of course, is a tragedy. If we had succeeded in implementing early on much better protocols uh, regarding staff and treatment and movement and cross-infection and visitors and PPE equipment, etc., in the care homes, which we should have been able to do in the sense that right from the very beginning, the care homes were identified as being these this the very definition of the people that needed to be protected elderly ill people living together it was obvious that this was the, the danger point proper management you point you made the point yourself guys sixty percent of the deaths come from the care home sector now that tells us surely that whatever number we're going to end up with with benefit of experience that we should we should now be in a position where we can seriously manage down that kind of that kind of uh, opportunity for infection and contagion and lethality to to occur we should anyway we will see but you're right i mean politically it's going to be very hard but they're going to need courage to do it because they're going to have to because very soon it's going to start to cost so much and it's going to start to do actual damage rather than simply cost I I look forward to the uh, seeing Michal Martin as Taoiseach displaying that political courage. Uh, now you see, now you've said that, that makes me feel all sad again, because I can't imagine that happening. Oh, surely he's the man. You know, come at the hour, come at the man. Before we go, um, I'd like to invite you to join with me in doing something, which I know you will want to do. And that is to add my support and send my greetings to the people of Venezuela and to its glorious leader, uh, Senor Maduro. Ogre Sinn Féin has been, uh, I don't know if you're aware of this, has been launching a bit of a campaign uh, which, uh, which says, Ogre sends its solidarity to the Venezuelan people. We salute your indefatigability in the face of illegal U.S. sanctions meant to punish the Venezuelan people for their pursuit of socialism, self-determination and their right to control their natural resources. No mass bloqueo. You know, Gary, absent a severe head trauma with something like a shovel or a pickaxe, it's very hard to explain somebody being that dumb. Have you any opinion? I mean, you don't need to explain these things, Michael. Simply marvel at it as one would a uh, very lovely rainbow. But, I I won't go on on this, but just one point, just for the purposes, in case anybody, of any dear listener, happens to come in contact with somebody talking about this, and they'll tell you it was all about the sanctions, the sanctions. The United States did not impose any sanctions on Venezuela until maybe a couple of years ago, Gary? They had put personal sanctions on members of the Venezuelan government that they thought were corrupt. Well, you mean, like, for example, the daughter of Hugo Chavez was now listed as the richest woman in Latin America. Having said that, uh, do you remember the taco incident? Oh, yeah, go on. 
the uh, so he's giving a the president is giving a speech <laughs> on live television. He's sitting at the presidential desk, and it's yeah. there's famine. Venezuelans are starving. Yeah, and it cuts. He gives this very rousing speech, and it cuts to what he thinks is an ad, but he's actually still being broadcast. Yeah. And he just opens a drawer of this lovely ornate desk, pulls a taco out of it, starts <laughs> eating it, and then just puts the taco back into the his de- desk. Like a cabin like, farmer. <laughs> it's fabulous. It really is. Um, and the actual sanctions, by the way, are sanctions on the purchase of arms. That's the sanctions. The United States had never imposed economic sanctions. The Venezuelan government, and it also wasn't, by the way, the decline of oil. The Venezuelan Chavez, long before Maduro got in, had fucked their economy over and destroyed it well before uh, the decline in oil prices. And in fact, oil prices recovered and it still went down the toilet. Why? Because when the price of oil went back up, they couldn't get the oil out of the ground because they hadn't been they hadn't bothered maintaining the infrastructure because they decided to stop paying the foreigners who they had previously paid to do it. They'd do it themselves. But then they didn't. It, uh, all I'm saying, these, this is the next generation of what's going to be the largest party in Ireland and the natural party of government. There are times, Gary, when I wonder, you know, there may be worse things. I mean, Mike, Michael, I can't, I can't really hold anything against people for voting for these people. And I can't really hold anything against people for believing what these people are saying. Because, I mean, look at the political landscape. Let's say... You have Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael, either centrist or more right-centre par- parties, traditionally. One e- more on the economic side, one on the social side. They all agree that the policies put forward by people like Sinn Féin and Venezuela to a certain degree now, as we gear up for a referendum on limiting the right of sale of your private property and weakening uh, defences against CPOs, they all say that these things are correct, and then they say, well... Just not don't go as far as them, so I can't really be surprised that people would look nope. towards the left wing parties and say, you are, "Obviously, yeah. they're correct." You are, you are, you are right. Gary. There's you're no, right. there's no counterweight pull at a political level, and that's horrible because you know it's not about it's not just about fun and games. It's about the fact that having been injured and hopefully eventually escaped a pandemic, they're going to kick the shit out of the economy. And create so many poor people and make other people much poorer. I have I have very much enjoyed the Green Party saying that they want a 7% reduction in carbon emissions. And people going, oi, okay, oi, yes, but oi, oi. how do you do that? And the Green Party saying, it's absolutely integral, we get it. And people going, no, no, we get that. But how? How do you achieve, like, what do you want to do? And say, well, we want a 7% reduction. Okay, I'll tell you. For example, I'm good. since we're talking about you know, kicking shit out of the economy, the Reds and the Greens are going to go out there and, and give us a good kicking. But Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil are going to do all these things for the price of power to form a government. Why there is such a desperate need to form this government at such a high price? Fa- I fail to say. But why? How are we going to do it? Well, we're going to put five. We're going to have five hundred. Five hundred thousand. No, 100,000. I can't remember. It was half a million. Uh, electronic cars on the road. Um, the numbers that are... Oh, I have them here somewhere. The, we're going to refit, retrofit. This is a big thing. 
We're going to... Oh, no, it's actually... A policy that will require a million electronic... A million electric cars on the road within five years. Which is, you know, that means, okay, poor people like me are not going to be driving cars for it soon because electric cars ain't cheap. You're going to have 500,000 homes are going to be retrofitted. We're going to have a dramatic cut in the use of fossil fuels for electricity and heating. So that's what there is. So at a time when oil and gas prices are at historic lows mm-hmm. and our economy is in dire straits, are we going to take advantage of this historically low prices of gas and oil, Gary? No, you betcha we're not. We're going to close those all those nasty places down and we're going to buy, because that's the only other option, we're not going to actually create electricity through wind energy or solar or any other form because that ain't going to happen. We're going to buy it, Gary. And where are we going to buy it, Gary? Who's going to sell us this electricity? Well, it'll either be the Brits using the surplus they generate from making from making electricity from coal and from oil. But more likely it's not. It's going to be the guys, the French, because the French are the ones with the big electric surplus more so than the oh, Brits. Yes, that's that wasn't something about nuclear power that the French basically copy and pasted nuclear power plants <laughs> and got very good at building them. So instead of having that nasty old carbon fuel, we're going to be basic our fuel needs on nuclear power. No, Gary, I don't have a problem with that, but. If we're going to do that, can we not at least have the honesty and say, well, can we build a small one ourselves? When it was pr- proposed, in the, in the bad old days, when it was proposing for current store, the cost of building a nuclear plant for Ireland wouldn't have been feasible. But the French have been really pushing on the technology, particularly for smaller plants. Hmm. And it would probably not be possible to build a couple of nuclear plants. Just, I, I have a funny feeling the Greens won't accept well, that. Well, no, it's, it's part of the Greens policy that they... That... The phrase they have is that nuclear power has no role to play in the clean energy future, was in their uh, their European manifesto. I work on a general rule for environmental groups, and it's this, their opinion on nuclear power. And if they say that nuclear power is necessary to move from fossil fuels, I not to say I agree with them, but I think they're serious. Because when you look at the issues around renewable energy, particularly the scalability and the security of it, nuclear power is at least in the short to medium term necessary if you want to move rapidly from fossil fuels in any kind of sustainable way. Yeah. So if you say that nuclear power is it cannot be done, there's no place, um, it's not even that I think you're wrong. I just think you're not, you're not serious. serious. You're not like serious. You're not a ser- if you think that the use of fossil fuels is an existential threat to humanity and the biosphere in general, but you won't use nuclear because it's icky, I just don't. You're just not serious about it. No, well, you do unless you are willing to embrace the fact that we will basically reduce our electric our energy consumption by ninety percent. I mean, genuine ninety percent. We will be back with candles. It's either an existential threat, which requires certain movements that you might not like, but work, or it's not, in which case you don't need to make any of those movements. And it's the problem with things like Extinction Rebellion, when you look at their actual policies, and they're talking about how they don't want techno fixes, they don't want nuclear power, they don't want any technological solution. Carbon capture, for example, don't want that. 
Mankind has gotten where mankind has gotten because it's affinity for tools. That's what mankind does. It builds tools mm -hmm. to deal with issues. In this case, we have a tool we've already built, we know works, and were we to increase the building of them, would substantially bring down the costs and allow us to build them quicker. And we don't because... And I... You know what? If the worst projections of climate change and the loss of biodiversity uh, are correct, I think the fault for it will largely lie with the environmental movements. Because the environmental movements have demonised and totally removed the ability of nuclear power to be put in place. I mean, imagine where we would be now if you hadn't seen Greenpeace and various other environmental organisations push against nuclear power like they have and try and turn it into the devil. Mm-hmm. I mean, you would have seen a much wider proliferation of nuclear power plants, which would have massively pushed down requirements for fossil fuels. Okay, here's a simple, just simple observation on, 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 on the, the, the carbon, if that's your big issue. Because of lobbying, in one case, and because of uh, an earthquake which resulted in the deaths of a couple of people, was it? Italy and Germany closed down all their nuclear plants. Oh, yes, they did. Germany particularly. Now, what Germany, does the dear listener largely decide the only thing they have that they can use to replace it with is brown coal. Brown, the worst possible thing you could burn, if you're talking simply, say, like particles, particulates, uh, pollution, and then, of course, for carbon release, brown coal. But they have huge lumps of swathes of brown coal up in the northwest of Germany, and they're digging these vast towns, literally, have been moved because it's an almost open-class mining. But actually, I, mean, I think you're, you're... The thing about Germany is Germany has had, for nearly the last decade now, they've been doing... I cannot pronounce this because it's in German. The Energy Wend? E-N-E-R-G-I-E-W-E-N-D-E. Yeah, the Energiewende. The transition to renewable energy. Yeah. The, on a massive scale, it was going to be one of the largest changes in the way Germany yeah. uh, has been, probably since the uh, probably since the reunification. And they have spent ungodly sums. You have it. to say, when you see the amount of money they have spent, it gives you extra respect for the robustness of the German economy. Oh, I mean, it's incredible. And the problem they have is that it's failing. No, it, 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 it failed. It failed, and it failed quite some time ago, and it has strangely failed ever since. It hasn't stopped failing. It, but there, there's no political will to take it out behind the shed and shoot it. No, I mean, and that's, that's, not, that's not my words or Michael's words. Those are the words of Der Spiegel. It is, it was, this is a highly industrialized country with a dedication to do this, and they couldn't. In fact, it went off the rails fast and hard. But if you look at the subsidies, other than, there is a, also a higher cost of electricity, but mostly it's through taxation, uh, generalized taxation subsidies, that the wind energy, for example, was that was their big solar as well. They spent huge amounts, which kind of baffles you. Northern Germany, uh, you know, take the mountains and the forest. The bits of Germany that aren't mountains and forests, Gary, tend to be full of people. So, I, where are you going to put 
kinds of extents that you need for any kind of solar power. And at the same time, by the way, it's also Northern Europe. It's not exactly, it's not the south of Spain. They, then their big thing was going to be wind power. And they were, going, they, were, they were talking about putting a 300 square mile wind farm off the off the of of Hamburg, the the level of it over it would over ten billion a year. The last time I looked at the figures, and that's a while ago, the total that had been spent subsidising um, wind and maybe others, but certainly wind, came to two Irish bailouts. Five hundred and thirty was it? Uh, it was. It was the amount of money they spent. Now, they will play with the figures and they'll say, well, actually, it's only around 12 billion a year. No, which of so over 10 years, it's only like 120 billion. Other German uh, uh, energy economists will tell you, actually, that when you, you globalize the thing, it's been massive. And then you've got the lost opportunities as well and the economic costs. The economic costs of Germany have been savage. As I said, genuinely say this, that it's a tribute to the robustness of the German economy and the capacity to produce and make money and wealth that they've been able to endure this level of, sub- of failed subsidy. It's unreal. I have enjoyed the growing realisation that the problem with wind and the problem with solar is fluctuation. So on, you need you need backups. Yeah that can produce power if there is an issue with their supply. And if you want to be really secure, you need a backup that can supply up to 100% of the demand that they would provide, which actually, weirdly enough, is less efficient because then instead of having a plant that you constantly have on, you have to keep turning it off and turning it on. Yes. Or keep it burning at a low rate so that you can then increase. I'm not... I don't say... God knows, I'm in no position to, to to say something of the nature. But I I don't say that there is no future possibility for wind energy, for example. But what does seem to be clear at this stage is the current technology is not working. Well, the the problem with the current technology has been scalability, also disposal of them. It turns out it's. Uh... Horrendous. It, I, you might point out, by the way, Gary, we might observe anyway, no, that uh, wind energy has been the dominant choice drive, driven in Germany and throughout all of throughout Europe by the EU. And at the same time, when the commissioners in, responsible for this area have been Danish. Coincidentally, Denmark is the global home of wind technology and of manufacturing wind technology related gugas and gigas. I'm not saying that there's any connection there, Gary. I'm just making an observation. No, and it's quite interesting in that when you look at how the German energy system is reported on outside of Germany, it's all very positive. It's things like, oh, Germany produced in this quarter nearly half of all uh, domestic energy or energy used for domestic consumption from renewables. And then when you look at the yeah. German reporting on it, it's a little bit less glowing. In fact, it's pretty bad. Things like wastes of money, billions of euro, growing resistance. Also, those figures are never, they're, they're never honest. If you look at it, say, okay, the energy needs last year for X was a hundred 
kilowatts, right? Renewable sources generated 60 kilowatts of energy last year. So that's great. What you, question you have to ask is, of the consumed electricity, how much came from renewable resources? Because the problem is that renewable resources, very, as you say, they fluctuate. And very often they produce when you don't need it or they produce more than you need at any one time, but you can't store it, so it's lost. So the actual proportion of effective, the effective proportion of the energy that's produced that goes actually into consumption and is economically important is is much, much lower than the figures they give for the energy produced. The energy produced mostly just pissed away. Yeah, I... I Der Spiegel is actually well worth reading on this. They wrote a great article last year on... Um, I'll try and find this and then link it uh, in the description of this episode. Uh, on Not on social media, but on all the other sites. It should be there. And uh, they basically talked about one day... I think it was Easter Monday, in which Jeremy had been able to um, meet nearly all of its needs through renewable uh, energy. And then made the point that this was one day in the year. And the other days, the other days, not so much. You know, my favourite bit in all of this and is the fact that there are two dominant circumstances when wind power turbine generators have to be turned off. Do you know what those circumstances are, Gary? Please do tell me, Michael. When the weather is too cold or the weather is too windy. Hmm. So you have a system of generating energy which works beautifully as long as it's not too windy or too cold. Now, Gary, I don't know about you, but I often associate too windy and too cold with the kind of times that you want energy. That's when I think, you know, a nice nice radiator on, turn on the old heating, boil the old water in the immersion. That's, you know... It's bitterly cold, or there's a gale blowing out. Hmm. Do you know what would keep you warm at those times, Michael? What would keep you warm? Self-satisfaction. <laughs> but also, if you didn't have self-satisfaction, but you had a working energy policy from an actual serious environmentalist movement, you could simply bask in the warm nuclear glow. I don't know. I think it's much more pleasant to just enjoy the gentle hum of smug. Mm. But, I mean, we we will end up using uh, French energy, because why not? It's it's It works. But I, I do like the sort of... We could of, frack. We know the Greens are against fracking as well. They say fracking also has no future. Leitrim. That's all we need. You frack Leitrim and would meet the country's uh, uh, energy needs. I mean, the Green Party are one of those great parties that, even if you support what they do, you just don't want to look at their policies because then you just get disappointed. Well, you see, I wouldn't go, mind. Oh. I'd happily vote green if I was a rich person and I wanted to have a bit of smug in my life, but I'm not rich enough. I am, unfortunately, so poor that I can't afford either socialism or environmentalism. But that's life. Anyway, Gary, I think it's time to release uh, the... God, there are more people running away. Uh, release the... Uh, Listener back into the wild. Today is Friday. We will be back on the Sunday for our Sunday miscellany. 
a joyous romp through the stories of the week. But until then, I would say, stay well, mind yourselves, and we'll be back on Sunday. I think you sell that so well. Who couldn't enjoy a joyous romp? (laughs) Bye-bye. All the best.